Hello and good evening. It's November 9, the day after the election, which happens to be today's main topic, an election recap. However, before we get to that, in a minute, I need to do my usual shout-outs to Dan Heim, the provider of all the background music on this show, and to Arbel Kimmick, who does all the voiceovers for this show. Thank you to both of them. Hopefully you caught my election uh, summary this morning. I did about a 15-minute live stream on that so i'm not going to go over all that again i'm just going to do a basic recap and summarization in the second half you can help support this show by subscribing to youtube and any of my other channels be they spotify iheart or whatever it helps with the algorithms it helps me to get recommended to other listeners so please do that with that said let's get to tidbits my usual first half of the show Deliveries of U.S. crude oil to Asia are set to touch a record 1.8 million barrels per day this month. Kepler shipping data showed as demand climbed on a widening discount to global oil. Why are we shipping oil overseas when we can use it ourselves? Uh, I don't get it. I know we're helping Europe, but hey, the reason they have problems is because they're boycotting Russia. You know, heck with Europe. Let's keep that off for ourselves. Refiners in China, India, and South Korea are returning as big U.S. crude oil buyers after several months of scooping up cheap Russian barrels. Asia's renewed buying reflects a soaring demand for crude to produce more diesel fuel and comes as Europe continued to stock up in the aftermath of Western sanctions on Russian purchases. Overall, U.S. crude exports last week touched a weekly record of 5.1 million barrels a day. So that means we're exporting 5.1 million barrels per day. We in America use 19, so that's about a third. And that was boosted by higher shale production. The U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate traded at nearly $9 a barrel discount to Global Brent compared to a $6 discount at the start of September. A wider discount makes U.S. oil more affordable to foreign buyers. South Korea is set to import a record 619,000 barrels a day of U.S. crude. China will draw at least 450 barrels a day from us. So if we hate China so much, why are we selling them 450,000 barrels? I don't get it. India's demand is forecast to be the highest since March. Refinitive data showed 
both are rising in the face of higher tanker rates up about 40 percent on some segments in october and i think there is a couple words missing in that statement nah my error i apologize u.s oil production was 11.98 million barrels per day in august the latest month of official figures as producers raise activity after pandemic cutbacks so we're still only producing a little less than two-thirds of what we use per day so why are we shipping overseas i don't like it chancellor olaf schulz number two chancellor olaf schulz makes an inaugural visit to china he actually made it last Friday. That will be closely watched for clues on how serious Germany is about reducing its economic reliance on Asia's rising superpower and confronting its communist leadership. Ah, you didn't hear anything about that over the weekend because the elections, of course. China became Germany's single biggest trading partner in 2016. So apparently China is Germany or Germany is China's bitch as well as we are. But Scholl's trip comes at a time of growing concern in the West, particularly in Germany's top secret ally, the United States, about China's trade practices, human rights record, and territorial ambitions. Well, hey, try and buy something in America, you flip it over, you read the made in, and a good chance it's going to be from China. So we're not people to talk, and we're certainly not people that should be insulting Germany for getting stuff from China. It also comes amid worry at home about Germany's dependence on another increasingly assertive authoritarian state, given the ongoing fallout of its over-reliance on Russian energy. It is extremely important that we never again make ourselves so dependent on a country that does not share our values, Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock told broadcaster ARD when asked about China. Hey, I've been saying that for a long time that America shouldn't be relying on China, yet we do. Some coalition members, European officials, and rights activists worry there are early signs Scholz, who has warned against decoupling, will not mark on a decisive break. Last week, the German Chancellor also pushed through a cabinet decision to allow China's Costco to invest in a terminal at Hamburg port, despite pushback from its coalition partners. So, yeah, China wants to own one of the ports in Hamburg. We just recently kicked China out of Long Beach. Um, China's buying ports all over the U.S. or all over the world, actually. So, yeah. That's another story. Number three, and you can kind of tell I haven't practiced this at all this week because I was concentrating on the elections, but I'll get through this. Number three, Wall Street's main indexes were on track to extend losses for a fourth straight session last Thursday as investors worried that the Federal Reserve would keep raising interest rates for longer than previously anticipated. Market participants were hoping that the Fed, which raised rates by 75 basis points again last Wednesday, would ease its hawkish stance in the near future after a string of big rate hikes has fanned fears of a recession. Well, with what just happened in the election, I don't think people are going to quit spending money. So I think those inflation or those interest rate hikes are going to keep going up possibly by big chunks. While traders were still split between the odds of 50 and 75 basis rate hike in December, 
I'm thinking it's going to be another big one. The peak Fed's fund rate is seen climbing to 5% or higher next year compared with a prior estimate of 4.5 to 4.75. So yeah, I think the Fed's just going to keep raising it. And I said half a year ago, until the interest rates are as high as the inflation rate, you're not going to see inflation come down much. Meanwhile, a number of Americans filing new claims for unemployment benefits unexpectedly fell the week before last, providing further evidence of a strong labor market. So again, expect the inflation to continue. Number four, economic sanctions, the primary means that the United States has used for years to try and exert pressure on North Korea, have completely failed to hold its nuclear and missile programs or to bring the reclusive Northeast Asian state back to the negotiating table. Instead, North Korea's ballistic missile program has become stronger and it has carried out a record-breaking testing regime of multiple types of weapons this year, including intercontinental ballistic missiles designed to reach the U.S. mainland. Expectations are that it may be soon it may soon end a self-imposed five-year moratorium or nuclear bomb testing, so don't be surprised if that happens. We've had a Policy failure. It's a generational policy failure, said Joseph de Thomas, a former U.S. diplomat who worked on North Korea and Iran sanctions and served in the administrations of Democratic presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. An entire generation of people worked on this. It's failed. So, all right, now we have to go to the next step, figure out what we do about it. Have I not been preaching for my my entire history of my podcast that sanctions don't work. Biden administration officials concede that the sanctions have failed to stop North Korea's weapons programs, but they maintain they have at least been effective in slowing North Korea's nuclear program. Yeah, right. Um, What's the difference between five nuclear bombs and three? You know, a nuclear bomb is still a nuclear bomb. If you don't think they have it already, you're only fooling yourself. The Security Council has imposed sanctions on North Korea since 2006 to choke off funding for its nuclear and ballistic missile programs. Like I said, they've got it. Admit it. Come on. We all know it. They now include export bans on coal, iron, lead, textiles, and seafood, and capping imports of crude oil and refined petroleum products. Have any of these bans worked? No. However, UN experts regularly report that North Korea is evading sanctions and continuing to develop its programs, as I've just been saying. They don't work. Come on. Number five, Canada will impose more sanctions on Haiti's political elite. Its foreign minister said on Friday, accusing the politicians of helping criminal gangs increase their influence in exchange for money. So crooked politicians in Haiti. Imagine that. Our goal is to put maximum pressure against these political elites, Melanie Jolie told Reuters by telephone after a G7 meeting in Germany. There will be more sanctions coming, she said without providing any further details. We know right now that the gangs have been using politicians to increase their influence. Imagine that. It happens everywhere, everyone. And at the same time, she said, the politicians themselves have been using the gangs to enrich themselves. So this is a vicious vicious cycle that we want to break, she said. After joint U.S. and Canada sanctions were announced earlier 
this past Friday. Haiti's gangs have expanded their power since the 2021 assassination of President Jovenel Moise and Prime Minister Ariel Henry has faced increasing difficulties in restoring order. Since I put this up in the tidbits, I did note that supposedly the gasoline that was kind of shut off from one end of the island to the other, the deliveries have been restored. So what that's going to do overall in Haiti, I have no idea. Anyway, with that, let's run the promo. I'll be back in 50 seconds with an election recap. things Dakota Rustler related, please visit dakotarustler.org. The website contains links to media sites, a merchandise store, and a button to donate to the show. Your support helps to pay for expenses of production, as well as research time. Feedback is appreciated, and comments or topic ideas can be sent to the email address listed on the website. Sponsorships are also available if you have a business to promote. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We're going to do a quick election recap. We're not going to concentrate too much on it. We're not going to get into too many individual races here. I recapped that earlier in today's morning live stream. So let's take a look at what we have here. We've got the U.S. election results 2022. We have a total in the Senate of 48 Democrats and 48 Republicans. Republicans losing one seat at this point. Democrats gaining one. That being here in Pennsylvania with John Fetterman taking that election. We've got. 191 Democrats in the House. They managed to flip four seats on the Republicans. However, the Republicans are marked up at 210, having flipped 16 seats. So that's a net gain of 12 for the Republicans. It looks as though they'll take the House. And I'm guessing for now, the Senate's going to remain 50-50. And I'll get into that shortly. Governors... 22 for the Democrats, gaining two states, and Republicans, 24, losing two states. So if anybody thought this was going to be a red wave, no, it is not. This is what your Senate makeup looks like when it's red and blue. There it is. Okay. Now, what we got going here is... Nevada is still undecided, although it is leaning towards the Republican Laxalt, which would be a flip to counterbalance the Pennsylvania flip. We've got the Democrat leading in Arizona. He also is the incumbent, I would say, with, well, I think that's close enough to call it for him, but who knows. Oh, we got Alaska. That hasn't been determined yet, but they have ranked choice voting. So no matter how you look at it and how that works out, once all that process has been completed, uh, it's going to be a Republican going in there. The big one, Georgia. 
Warnock leads Herschel Walker by about 17,000 votes. Neither one of them is going to end up with 50%. You're going to have a runoff. If you look at the screen there, Chase Oliver, the Libertarian, nabbed 2.1%. What is this going to mean for Georgia? Because at that point, I'm guessing the Republicans will have 49. But, well, who knows what it's going to be? The Republicans will probably have 49. The Democrats will have 49. So that one and the Nevada one are going to be close. But getting back to Georgia, there's going to be a runoff in Georgia. No way it won't happen. Warnock and Walker. So you can expect the Democrats to get out again in December to vote for Warnock. You can expect the Republicans to get out again and vote for Walker. And that means the Libertarians, are they going to get out and vote for either one? Or are they going to stay home? 81,000 votes for the Libertarian, a 17,000 difference between Warnock and Walker. So Walker needs at least 17,000 people to show up and vote for him and only him. I did the math kind of in my head. I figured if half the Libertarians come out and actually vote for somebody, Walker's going to have to take those by a three to one margin. I don't think that's going to happen. I can almost guarantee I'd put money on it right now that Warnock will win that election and the Senate will be split 50-50 and remain in Democratic control because Kamala Harris will have any tie-breaking vote power. So that's what that looks like. The House. Let's see. Come on computer caught up this is what your house seats look like when colorized on a map a lot of red you can see a lot of areas here that had the black stripes going through it they were flipped to red arizona down here flipped over to the republicans not too many areas flipped over but you can see all of new england is democrat most of colorado is democrat new mexico is all democrat you got the whole west coast pretty much being democrat and elsewhere you have little sections that are blue and democrat throughout the rest of the u.s but pretty much just right up here new england the atlantic states the mid-atlantic states the western coast democrat two states in the middle of the country democrat the rest is pretty much all republican let's take a look at the governors on that map And there you can see the Republican or the makeup for Republicans and Democrats when it comes to governorships. You got the upper Midwest, pretty much all Republican. The South is pretty much all Republican. And everything else pretty much went to the Democrats. Ironically, the Democrats. Vermont and New Hampshire have Republican governors, yet they sent all Democrats to Congress in D.C. So they kind of have a cross-section of results. But anyway, what it boils down to is if you expected a red wave, it didn't happen. I was kind of hoping for one to send a message, but I'm not surprised there wasn't one. As I said in my earlier live stream today... 
you can kind of blame Pennsylvania and Georgia for this, for not flipping the Senate. Uh, Pennsylvania put up Oz against Fetterman. Oz didn't even live there till a couple months before the election. Plus, the final weekend going in there, he had Trump coming in and campaigning for him, stumping for him. And you just can't do that in a borderline state. There just aren't enough people that like Trump. He's a turnoff in a borderline state. And Walker was another Trump person. Again, he's probably going to end up losing. So there you go. There you go. No red wave. Didn't happen. America pretty much voted for politics as normal. They decided the economy wasn't terrible enough to make it worth change. So yeah, that's it. What else can I say? Um, with that, we're going to call it another episode. You know the mantra. Question authority and always be free. Thank you for listening to the Dakota Rustler Show, a production of DL Root, Buzzsprout.com, and their affiliates. Any unauthorized use of this show is prohibited. Until next time, have a great day, and don't forget to subscribe.